love to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 13 this morning. And as we're studying the life of Job, we're going to be asking ourselves that question over and over again. In what do we trust? And this morning, we're going to talk about what it means for us to trust the Lord when we lose what is precious. And there's going to be two things torn away from Job today. It's going to be miserable to watch this happen in a person's life. But because I get to teach God's word and creatively, hopefully what we're able to do is we're going to be able to look at these first few verses that begin with unlucky number 13, chapter, thir- or chapter 1, verse 13. And then we're going to cheat like some of you did on your math book when you were a kid and look at the back of the book uh, to chapter 42, I believe it is, to the last few verses. And we're going to see what happens in Job's life, that Job is going to lose two categories of his life that were absolutely precious to him. And they are, let's be honest, really precious to us. One of them was his wealth. The things that had surrounded him that had been blessings from God that he had received and then the other is going to be his family. Now, now this picture up here is interesting, right? Burning money. You know, Ali and I, when we were in Texas on the days that we were, the last few days that we were in Texas after graduating from seminary, we were staying with some wonderful friends of ours in a condo because our lease had wrapped up and we had an old Dodge Stratus. Some of you know the car. Um, It was new to us, but it was a Dodge Stratus and behind it, we were towing a U-Haul that literally between the back seats of that car and the U-Haul contained everything that we owned. We'd been married for about two years and had all our wedding gifts. And and we had left a going away party that was at the church that that we served at. And we brought that U-Haul up to the top story of this beautiful apartment complex in the heart of Dallas, Texas. And as we're driving up to the top, my wife says, hey, Sean, since you changed the oil on the car, have you noticed that there's kind of a weird smell, which is always a bad thing, you know? Uh, and, And I'm no mechanic, but I said, oh, no, honey, I haven't noticed it. And then we saw smoke coming from the front of the car. And then we saw flames coming from the front of the car. We made it to the top of the parking garage. We pulled away from other cars. Uh, Allie ran in and got our friends and they started the, the, the bucket brigade, but they only had like styrofoam cups. It was kind of goofy. But we, we opened the, the hood of the car and it was just in flames, right? Now, now I want you to think for a moment about how you would feel if everything that you owned. No, we didn't have much. Let's just be honest. Job, we're going to see today, was a man who was incredibly wealthy. So the things that were at risk, that were taken away, we're going to see them kind of taken away from all different directions today. It's kind of this, this just horrific experience. But if today, literally, you went home, the house had been burnt down, the, you got the note from the bank that the, there, was, there was somebody who had stolen your identity, cleaned out your bank account, what, whatever it is, like that if, if everything was taken away from you, which that thought, by the way, went through my mind after I thought, hey, I wonder if I got the insurance on the U-Haul, <laughs> you know? Are you guys with me? That's, did I pay for the insurance? And I'm sure Allie was thinking, oh man, it probably wasn't a good idea that we took off the comprehensive insurance on the car a couple of weeks before this thing happened. 
And as we heard the fire, ambulance, or the fire trucks come, we were told that it turned into a four-alarm fire. At least that was the way it was called. Tons of police, or fire trucks and ambulance, all kinds of things came. But praise the Lord, the, the, the firemen came up and put the fire out almost instantly, um, protecting the stuff inside the car, and, um, but the car was just toast. We got like 200 bucks at the junkyard two days later, you know? But, but that, that moment of wondering, what would it be like for us to lose everything? And, and, and I want you to know this. I want you to hear this from me this morning. I really believe this. That inside my heart, if everything was taken away from me on that day, the truth of the matter is we were going to be okay. That, that, that if everything is taken away from us, the things that are comforting, the things that are precious to us, what's crazy about it is we're going to see Job teach us this lesson with his life. And that is, do surgery. Take everything away from me. And do you remember when Jesus sat with the rich young ruler and he said to him, hey, go give all you have to the poor if you want to follow me, Jesus actually asked that question to that person. And I, I want to suggest that this morning, Jesus is asking that same question to each one of us who says that we want to be a follower of Christ. Hey, buddy, if we took everything away from you, would you still worship my name? Would you still call me good? Would you still lift my name high? Now, that's just your stuff. But what we see happen in the life of Job is that interwoven within this chapter is that he's also going to lose his seven precious children. Can you imagine? You can mess with me, but don't mess with my kids, right? And there's going to be a tragedy, and it's going to be obvious that something was going on because it's going to happen back to back to back. And it's going to be just like a, a, a gut punch, gut punch, gut punch, gut punch. But what we're going to see today, and I celebrate it. Uh, don't get me wrong. Some of you asked me afterwards last week, did, was Job perfect? Hey, Sean, Job screwed up a lot. Yeah, actually, we're going to see that as we study it. Job gets scolded by God at times. But you know what's incredible about him as well? Is that we're going to see today from God's word that he, in the midst of that time, actually gets down and worships God. At the end of his life, when we see God before restoring him, he's going to do something that's really humbling. And people in this room are terrible about doing this. He's just going to share with his friends his need. I need help. And then he's going to be helped. And God's going to restore him abundantly. And you know what? After restoration, before restoration, in the middle of restoration, God was worthy of his praise. I love this quote. I want you to see it. So the, the next image is of his family tree. And as you see a family tree, Job's family tree is going to be chopped down today. We're going to see it. And the, the next image, the quote that's here, I love this quote. It's so helpful for me is that a man may stand before God stripped of everything that life has given him. And you know what? He can still lack nothing. Isn't that great? I recommend that tattoo right here, you know? It, that, that a man can stand before God and have, have everything stripped away and still lack nothing. I believe that's true. But the person who is able to do that is a person who understands the secret of being content. It's a person who understands how big the God of the universe is. It's a person who's like Job that we're going to see in the text today. Let's be honest. When we talk about wealth in particular, I want to focus in on that this morning. When we talk about wealth this morning, 
it kind of hits us personally, right? We, we've grown up in a world that reminds us that, that when it comes to politics, that it's the economy, stupid, right? Uh, that we've all, no matter how young we are, experienced the pain of losing something that was precious and valuable. Can anyone relate to me of doing, like my mom had a house full of precious moments growing up and they were to be cared for preciously. Uh, but I also grew up with, with three brothers and I would say we did a lot of wrestling and fighting and one of the precious moments took a hit and I remember the effect, that the, the, the racing of my heart, right? You guys know what I mean, right? I'm going to glue this thing back together. I think its nose was upside down. Uh, it was very obvious that it did not work. But the reason why I was so nervous about it, because it was valuable. And, and for some of us, we've had, there's this weird phrase, you've heard it more recently, economic um, instability, or that there's this, um, there's this recognition that there's this inconsistency with our finances. There's the, the fear that perhaps our our, for, for there's disruptions in the future, whether it's our job, whether it's our employer being able to pay us, whether it's our, our retirements, uh, that there's, there's a recognition that perhaps something is going to be taken away from us. And so what some people are doing today right now is they're just holding tighter to their things. And in that process, what I'm afraid can happen to us is that those things can actually become objects of worship for us. That they become empty substitutes to a God that wants us to desperately depend upon him. And I'll just tell you, I've said this before, but he's okay with breaking our fingers sometimes. That he's okay with allowing us to be reminded of the fact that they're empty substitutes. So, so I'll just ask you, so how, how about you? How, how important is your stuff to you? We've all lost things that are valuable. I love the story my dad tells of the, the man. It's actually not a great story. It's a sad story of the, the truck driver that's going through Las Vegas. And he um, stopped and he was a mover. He had a, a truck full of people's things in the truck. And, and the story goes that he went out, he gambled, he lost so much that he wanted to try to win it back. So he opened up the back of the truck and he's selling people's stuff out of the back of the truck because, because that emotion, right? Like, I got to fix this. We got to get this right. And, and you just wonder in the back of your mind, you, he had to have thought this is not going to end well, right? But, but the thing that sparks a person to do this is this idea that we want to hold tight we could lose our job. The stock market could hit us. Maybe it already has. The basement might flood. We pile up unexpected medical bills, identity theft. Your car catches on fire. <laughs> right? It happens. Some of you are going to tell me stories afterwards. Totally happened to me. I hope it wasn't because of your bad oil change. <laughs> you know, the, um, Job understood something that every one of us needs to learn and that is the idea is money, our stuff, however you want to put it, our finances, wealth is never worthy of our worship. In 1 Timothy 6.10, uh, we, we always talk about this. It's not, it's not the love of, it's not money. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Have you read the verses that surround that? I want to remind you of this. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith 
and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. The image there is a taking a knife and just sticking yourself. That you're, you're, you're actually, did you catch this? That money's actually connected to our faith. And so when we say the love of money, it's actually a worship term. That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when it becomes something that falsely promises security, that falsely promises hope, that falsely promises contentment, that falsely promises peace, that for some it falsely promises love. You guys know that the history of people who win the lottery is not awesome, right? Have you read the stories? You've probably seen these. There's one that came out back in um, 2002 of a man who had won uh, from West Virginia, who had won um, $314.9 million on December 25th, Christmas gift. Wow, 2002. And then from there, he had his car broken into several times, uh, had stolen from him $750,000, had two grandkids that had committed suicide or that had been murdered. The story keeps going and going. And at one point, he says, I wish that I had torn that ticket up. Some of you are like, give it to me. I'll, I'll put it to good use, right? But, but there's a promise of wealth that is under-fulfilled in experience. Wealth doesn't solve problems. A, a very wealthy man said this to me one time. He said, Sean, I've just learned in my life, wealth does not solve problems. It just makes new ones. Isn't that true? Um, some of you, again, keep saying, I'd like to try those problems. I understand. So Job had his wealth stolen away. We're going to pick up in verse 13 here of Job chapter 1. And I just want you to read this. Uh, this isn't an exercise in just mental learning. Like we're not doing a historical research of this man. This isn't a class. Our goal is to see how Job's life can impact our actions today. It says this in verse 13. It says, now there was a day when his sons and daughters, this is Job's, Job were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. If you joined us last week, I hope you join us each week. These lessons are going to build on each other, the messages. But last week, we just talked about the fact that I think this was included in God's word, talking about his sons and daughters, that they loved each other, that the family was close. And Job was so afraid of the spiritual well-being of his kids while they were eating and drinking that afterwards he would do this feast, or he would do this um, cleansing ritually of them. He would search their hearts and engage with them and so we just know Job is engaged. Verse 14, and there came a messenger to Job. But these messengers are going to be terrible. And he said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And we got to see how many there were last week. There's a lot of them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them. They took them. They struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Um, the Sabaeans have no relation to Nick Saban. That's a bad dad joke. Um, the Sabaeans were known for their, their height. They were coming from the south, and they were spurred on. I want you to understand this. This is really important here, is that there were a group of people who were spurred on by Satan to do his bidding. It took them a while to get to this place. We don't know how long it took for Satan to orchestrate the details, but we're going to see lightning. We're going to see a windstorm. We're going to see two different groups of people or groups of people who attack militarily. But I want you to understand, church, that it is possible for people to be utilized by Satan to do horrific things 
because they allow him to speak truth. They're his twisted and ugly, gross, lowercase t truth to them to the point where they are his tools to be used by him. And here what happened is that they are tools in the hands of Satan to come and to attack Job. In verse 16, it goes on to say, while he was yet speaking, that's the first messenger, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven. This is not God's fault, by the way. We're going to talk about God's will and God's permissive will. It's important. But the fire from heaven comes down. And they interpret this. This is probably lightning, a horrific storm. It burns up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you, some of you, this is a really important theological distinction you need to make in your life. And some of you are standing back and you say, if God allows evil, it's God's fault, right? Isn't God doing evil? But I love Calvin and his institutes that he talks about God's permissive will, not doing evil to us, but allowing it to be done because of the fact that he has yet to restore his creation. He has yet to to make the final restoration of his creation. And so here in this case, I think God's weeping with Job still. I don't think this is God's lightning bolt ripping these things away from him. You remember last week, he said to Satan, do what you've got to do. And so here we see this, this horrific event that takes place. But God still allows each one of us to be people who choose to rebel against him and ultimately to receive the judgment that man deserves. This was the second attack on Job. The third was probably just horrific and relentless. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups. This was a military procedure. And they made a raid on the camels and they took them and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This is a well-orchestrated attack, again, at the hands of Satan, doing his plea. And then finally, in verse 18, we see, And while he was yet speaking, there came another, and he said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Job knew this was going on. Remember, Job was intimately involved in the details of his family. Verse 19, And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness. It struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. This, for Job, had to have been the death nail for him. A hurricane-forced wind comes from the east, and it blows away the lives of his children. I can't help but imagine Job looking to see, is there going to be a fifth one? Is my wife going to go, what's next? Like, is this just, this just bombardment? And this, this just sense, and some of you in this room have felt that way in your life, that, that you, you, you see pain and it's process and you experience it and you go, there can't, what more could happen to me, right? I've heard you say it. What could possibly go wrong that hasn't gone wrong, right? And yet what, what Job does, his response back to this is so incredible that, that his circumstances were attempting to crush him from every Every direction. Do you guys remember what Satan said was going to happen to Job when this stuff was taken away? His accusation about Job was, take away what's precious to him, and he's going to curse God. Hey, newsflash, people are cursing God today. Newsflash, people in this room are tempted to do that. We are. 
Because we look around and we go, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't. But, but actually what Job models for you and I, <laughs> later, later on, he's, he's going to agree that in, in chapter 9, verse 18, he's going to say, God would not, or Satan, whatever was going on, it would not let me get my breath. You know, he's just being crushed on every side. But what he ends up doing, so fascinating, verse 20, I want you to see this. It says, then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head in these postures of mourning. And here he falls on the ground. And then those, those few words are so fascinating to me. They were pretty unpredictable. And he worshiped. Isn't that great? Isn't that incredible? That the things were they're torn away and he didn't find himself screaming at God, but instead what he did was he worshiped. And then he shares with us a tip that is so valuable for us this morning, that, that he shares with us how a person can worship God in the midst of crisis is that they understand this truth. And he said, naked, this is scripture, I have come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for leading us in that song today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Isn't that great? That, that he understood what is going to be described by the Apostle Paul later as being the secret of being content in every circumstance. And, and what I love about this, it leads to the second really valuable point this morning, and that is when what is precious is torn away, we find ourselves exposed. I hate being exposed. I, I like it when I can keep my stuff to myself. I, I don't like other people coming in to understand certain parts of my life. But what I love about this is that those moments when the car's on fire, when the job's lost, when, when things are torn away, you just get to find out who you really are and, and what, what is the things that are truly valuable. And so here he is exposed. And in that process, what I love about this is that he still believes that God has began a good work in him and is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, that God's on the move. That, that in the pattern, this is important, Job had four rep rep repetitive experiences. This real man in history experienced these, this bombardment. And I'm guessing, just guessing, that at some moment he said, maybe somebody's trying to get my attention right now, right? <laughs> It's okay to see patterns in your life and to ask yourself the question, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? What, what's going on? Uh, and, and his accusers are going to accuse him of bringing this suffering upon himself. And we're going to study that together when his friends are no longer feeling like they're friends anymore, but they're accusers. But in Job's statement, when he says, naked I have come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return, it's been said so many different ways, but you've heard it, there's no U-Hauls on hearses, right? That, that you can't take anything with you, that, that, that Job understood this. And, and in 1 Timothy 6, 7, it says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And I just love the fact that Job seemed to get it and he lived it. I hope you've learned that. It doesn't matter how old you are, by the way. You can be at the end of your life and still learn this lesson. 
You can be at the beginning of your life, a child, a teenager, a youth, and you're looking at your life and you, you understand this secret and it will change your life. I wasn't sure I was going to mention this, but I had a moment in the beginning time of my life when I felt a call to pastoral ministry. And I can just remember, I don't know how much money I had in the bank account, but I can remember this sense in my heart that the Lord was just saying, I want you to give that to me. And I think it was probably the first time I'd ever written a check to the church. Um, I, I remember doing it. I don't even know if my parents knew what was going on. They probably thought I spent that money on matchbox cars or something else. But, but there was just this moment where the question was, if I understand what it means to be content with what God has given me, I'm going to be fine whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing. And I want you to see these words in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where Paul defines how he experienced blessing and want. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I want to pause there for a second. Job could have said those words. In every circumstance that I'm in, I want to be a man who is content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, and it is a secret these days, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this verse that many of us quote often, and that is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a God who's worthy of being praised but it doesn't mean that our circumstances are always according to the way that we want them to be. Often the circumstances are disrupted, unexpected, challenging, that represent things being stolen away. Paul's suffering led him to trust the Lord. Job's suffering led him to worship. Uh, what is your suffering leading you to do today? How, how are you reacting and responding I find great encouragement in the truth that the way it is today, the third point this morning, is that it's not always the way it's going to be. Isn't that great? Some of you want to go, amen, right? The way it is now is not the way that it's going to be. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn forward with me to Job chapter 42. Remember that back of the book thing that I told you we were going to do? And at the back of Job 42, um, after an incredible discourse with God that's going to remind Job that he doesn't understand the mind of God, that we can never completely comprehend the goodness and the bigness of God, that he was there from the beginning and Job was not. But after that process and after scolding Job's false accusers, Job is going to... Um, experience a restoration. It is really important that you hear me not saying that for those of you who have experienced loss, that my belief is that God is always in this life going to restore what's been taken from you. I don't think scripture promises us that. In fact, I believe to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Jesus lived a very humble life. Remember his parents were so poor that when they um, first dedicated Jesus, or when they were in the temple, they gave the, the, the sacrifice that was for those who were poor, that didn't have much. It was a very small sacrifice. It meant a lot to them, but they did not have much. Jesus, later on in his life, would say, birds have holes and foxes have nests, but the Son of Man has no place. <laughs> That's, I said that wrong. Birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
In other words, I don't think Jesus was living in an earthly mansion. He lived humbly, sacrificially. He understood that you can't take anything from this physical life on to the next. And so with Job and his restoration, for some of you, you've experienced loss. Uh, There's one that sticks out to me, an incredibly sad story of a pastor who um, had left and ministered in the Bahamas before we were there and started a ministry called the Adventure Learning Center where every child in the Bahamas, if they um, reach a certain age, will hear the gospel presented to them them through creative ministries where they have a planetarium and they have animals and a little zoo. But this ministry was started from a man who obeyed the call of God to go to start this ministry because he wanted to care for the children of the Bahamas. And in that process, he started a little zoo and dug a little, little pond on the, the property. I've seen the, the pond many times in my life. And at some point in the process, one of his children crawled into that pond and died. She drowned to death. And the story is horrific. And, and you look at this, and, and when God restores Job's children, we're going to see this. Like there's this new group of children that are born. They could never replace what was there before. And I promise you that, the Randy, this man that I'm telling you about, that that there was a day when he and his wife, as they wept over the loss of this child, they had to say, God, where are you? What happened? Did we misunderstand? But then what they chose to keep doing is to serve the Lord. He's faithful. And so here we see the restoration of Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all of his brothers and his sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and they comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. I want you to pause there for a second. Will you look back with me in verse 10? There's a fascinating idea here. It says this in the ESV translation that I'm reading from. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. When I started this morning saying to you, I want to be a person who cares about our community. I want to be a person who, I want to put this phrase, I want to care more about other people's needs than I do my own. In the midst of his crisis, Something happened in Job's heart that he decided that he was going to start to pray for the needs of other people. He's praying for his friends who had just been rebuked by God. And I just think there's something small there. I don't want to overstate it, but I've learned this principle in my life when I'm so focused on my problems. Some of you are doing this. You're you're watching the news 24 hours a day. You're soaking it up. I got to get every ounce of information I can. For what? I don't even know what you're doing it for. And there's this part of this that you're just sitting in your problems. And, and I just want to be a person who stands back and says, yeah, the, the Lord's called us to do these things. He's called us to action. He's called us to move. He's called us to pray. He's called us to be people who are deliberate about caring for the needs that are around us. And so here Job for, for a moment looks away from his own pain and suffering. And he had pain and suffering, right? We've, we've, We've established that. And and did you catch also subtly here something that, if we're really honest, none of us like to be a part of, is that he shared his need with people around him. 
You know, mental health right now has been a massive thing in our country. People are suffering, and they're ashamed to be honest about the suffering that they're going through. I have these feelings inside me. They're terrible. I don't know who to talk to. So, so they're being quiet about it because they don't want to reach out. For some, I, I've known stories of people who weren't sure where the next meal was going to come from. And, and, and they're, they're a part of our world here. And, and I just think, like, we have so much more than what we need, don't we? We're, we have abundance. If we only knew, we would want to help, Right? And so what, what we see with Job is that here, it says in the text that he came to his brothers and his sisters. We haven't seen much of them in Job up to this point. We won't see them. But, he, but they, he comes to his brothers and his sisters and all who had known him before. It's, and he ate bread, they ate bread with him in his house. And then they showed him sympathy. And they comforted him for all the evil that had been brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. I, I sat down with a, an incredible man in um, Puerto Rico as I was on a, um, a, a privilege to be a part of dispersing some of the funds that the Christian and Missionary Alliance had raised to help post-hurricane Puerto Rico churches get back established. It was an incredible trip. But Javier Gomez, an incredible man, humble man, loves the Lord, said this statement, and I think it's an important one. He says, everyone prefers to be the person offering assistance. The image here is of the, the individual that um, was, we know of as the Good Samaritan, right? We, we like to be the people who offer assistance. But at times, we have to be humble and be the ones that are assisted, right? We always want to be the ones lifting up. It's better to give than to receive. Jesus taught that. But but at the same time, sometimes we need to be, be people who say, you know what, family, just need to let you know, I need help right now. You know what, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by fear right now. I'm discouraged. I need someone to um, lean on. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills this next week. And I think that there's a humility in that. And I know we're proud, rugged, individualistic people in Northeast Ohio. I know we are. I'm one of you. But in the midst of this process, sometimes it takes us humbling ourselves to be blessed by God. And through the generosity of others, God blessed Job abundantly. You know, Javier Gomez, who I quoted earlier, Moraro, he, um, he was a person who in the months before the hurricane was very involved in helping other countries, other people, other settings, other... He was a missionary-hearted person, and then he found himself needing to be ministered to. That's okay for us. But through the generosity of others, God blesses Job abundantly. It is fascinating, isn't it, that, that God's blessing is going to be seen in the generosity of others. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, he had 6,000 camels, he had 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And, and so you, you see his financial wealth restored abundantly, right? There's an exponential increase. It's incredible. Verse 13, and he had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And these names are beauty treatments. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They're uh, they're beautiful. In fact, they, the text goes on to describe them that nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. He loved them. It was 
unusual to do this. They were so precious to him. Uh, let's be clear. They couldn't replace the lives that were lost before. That's not the point of the text. It's just is saying that God blessed them. God provided for them. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. So he had already lived a number of years and now he's going to live what has been guessed or estimated as is another 140 years. The guess is about 70 years that he'd lived up to this point. Now another 140 years. And so in each of these cases, there's this incredible blessing from God, provision. And, and I, I just love the way that it ends is that and so Job died in an old man and full of years. And uh, he got to see his generation, children, to their fourth generation. Isn't that great? So, so the text, um, uh, we will continue to study. Don't worry, we're not done with Job. You guys are like, great, Sean, you did it in two weeks. That's awesome. Um, no, we're going to fill in some more of the blanks. We're going to look at some more of the details um, that are here, but... I want to try to make this more personal for us. I want to ask the question for us, so what? Uh, what, Why does this matter, this message? Is it just that we get to look at someone else's suffering and kind of observe it through a window and say, wow, that would have been terrible to be Job? I actually don't think that. I I remind you this morning, God doesn't need your stuff. Um, That that's not why God asks us to be generous. When I mentioned the rich young ruler, it's really important that in that story, when, when that rich young ruler came to Jesus, I hope you're familiar with the story, that came to Jesus and he told Jesus that he was righteous, that he, had, um, he wanted to follow God with his life. And Jesus said to him, then go sell all you have and give it to the poor and uh, then come follow me. And we don't know really what happened, but what the text says is that young man, do you guys remember what it says? It says that he went away sad. Um, And I think that for each one of us, it would be unhelpful for me to to be specific in each of our lives to say, like, what's this really mean for me? What's it mean for me to sacrifice? But I want to challenge you in an area. I want to challenge you that this isn't about God needing our stuff. And and by the way, Hope Church family, you guys were incredibly generous in in 2020 uh, to finish our budget year in such a way that we did. We just find ourselves being so encouraged but what's, what's interesting to me is we really did finish well and the Lord provided for us and the Lord continues to provide for us. And that's, that's awesome. I know you're not giving to me. I know you're not giving um, in that way. You're giving as unto the Lord and it's incredible. And you're giving sacrificially. One area that I look back over this last year, a goal of ours was to give a certain amount of money as a church family to missions. And it's interesting to me that that number was ambitious, $63,000. That would be enough to potentially support a missionary on the field or close to that. And um, we ended up coming close. Like we we ended up um, giving $56,502.50. Every penny of that represents sacrifice. It represents glorifying the Lord. I just tell you as a church family, I would love to double that this year. I look at the doubling in this text, and I just want to be somebody. Some of you, like if I challenge you to, to, to give double to the Lord, I'm not asking you to give it to just necessarily Hope Church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you guys might not know this, but missions is suffering around the finances of mission is suffering around the world right now because of the fact that people are nervous. And we don't know what next week's going to look like. We, 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 we receive these things. Somebody said this even about the... Um, a, 
check from the government, like the $600 thing, is that they, they said this. I love this. They were like, I'm going to keep this check. I'm not going to spend it. I'm just going to wait and pray to see if God opens an opportunity or a need in my neighborhood. I'm just going to pray if God opens a door for me to bless somebody with it. Isn't that a great perspective? So, so what it's doing is it's not going like, I'm just going to hold it close. But instead, what we're just doing is like, Lord, what do you want to do with this? Let's, let's do something great with it. Let's support what God's doing. Let's support the Robert Brookses of the world that are raising their support to try to represent the love of Christ. Let's be people who choose to do this. And, and so I'm challenging you to double whatever you were doing when it comes to outreach and missions. That's my specific challenge to you. I'm going to work on that in our own family. I want to see this number of the Great Commission Fund that we give to double over this year. Some of you might be able to write that check today. Do it. Let's do it. When I say double, some of you are like, well, I don't give anything, so that's easy, right? <laughs> you know? I think it's, it's time for us to be people who double down like God on what it means for us to say, Lord, this stuff doesn't own us. We can't take it with us. It's all going to burn up at some point. And I love to think, there's some of you in this room that I just love to think about what kind of mansion you're going to have in heaven. Because you've lived a life that's sacrificial. You've given as if it was unto the Lord. And I just love that perspective of people who've just said, this is what I'm going to do. So our stuff, even our kids, are not worthy of our worship. But I praise the Lord that I know the God that is. Would you join me in prayer as we turn our hearts towards closing the service out in worship? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word that promises us it will not return void. And I pray uh, for each one of us, Lord, that we would be people who understand like Job did in his lifestyle, in his convictions, in his words, what it means to be people who do everything as unto the Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.